What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a sports ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our great content comes out from all our baseball writers and podcasters. Go check out EthosFantasyBB when you guys get a chance. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. He's here for the first time. According to Elon Musk, he may or may not be notable, but I think that's nonsense. He is definitely notable to us. <laughs> Matt Williams of The Game Day, thank you so much for hopping on today, man. Hey, no problem. Happy to be here. Yeah, may or may or not, may not be notable. The former Matt Williams of the San Francisco Giants, Arizona Diamondbacks, and I guess horrible manager of the Nationals is more notable, but whatever. You can probably throw a stone outside of your window wherever you're listening to this and hit a Matt Williams, but uh, I am I am honored to be the one that is on here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You guys can check out Matt's work on Twitter at M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. It's essentially Williams with sevens as the L's, if I am correct in that. Um, we have some kind of, we were going to talk about some ADP general strategies, ADPs that we agree with, don't agree with, but there was some rather big news out of New York overnight. Matt is a Mets fan. Of course, you guys likely know what I'm talking about. Carlos Correa reneged on his deal with San Francisco. He is now a New York Met. Matt, how do you feel about that as a fan and also as a as a fantasy analyst? It's it's one, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, everyone's waking up as we speak. San Francisco fans are only waking up to it right now as we're recording this. Uh, I don't even know if if Carlos Correa backed out. It sounds like the Giants backed out. Now that we're learning more and more details, looks like Susan Slusser, uh, who's you know she's she's very uh, dependable. It looks like they. To, you know, as a reason to get cold feet, they're they're citing an injury that Carlos Correa had pre MLB that has never been a problem and has never cropped up since as a reason to renegotiate with him. And then, according to Scott Boris, the uh, the Giants then never went back to them. And then the I guess the Mets swooped in, and uh, Steve Cohen, while on vacation in Hawaii, <laughs> decides to sign a three hundred million dollar player. Um, but it looks like the groundwork for this was already kind of done. He did uh, the owner of the Mets, Steve Cohen, did a uh, all exclusive, all inclusive inter- exclusive interview. I'm saying all inclusive. He's in Hawaii, so it makes sense <laughs> with uh, with John Heyman, who you know, <laughs> it's hilarious that the the Giants offseason they must hate him over there that are so <laughs> tied tied to, to to John Heyman. But yeah, I guess they had us all set up, and they have no problem with his physical, and they're gonna have him play third base now. So. To answer your questions, as a Mets fan, unbelievably excited. It's ridiculous. Literally nothing is impossible for what I guess the the Mets owner is willing to do. It's interesting what they're doing. Uh, Most of them are outside of Nimmo and Correa are short-term deals. So come two years from now, basically uh, this massive payroll is going to be cut in half once again, which is what makes them getting like Otani next season, like a very strong possibility and all sorts of stuff like that. Just focusing on Correa, though, he's a much better uh, real-life player than he is a fantasy player. Defense is, like, such a huge part of his game. They're going to play him probably at third base. I'd actually prefer him to maybe play second. Uh, but he's never, you know, he's played a lot of his, most of his time not at short while over at third. So the hot corner is probably where he's going to stick. Um, as far as fantasy baseball goes, I don't think this changes his value as much as many would think. He is going to gain third base eligibility or gain third base eligibility rather quickly into the year. And that is a big deal on the surface because that is a cesspool of a position this year. If you don't get it, we're probably going to talk about it later in the show. If you don't get one early, you're going to be sad. 
Um, this increases like this increases the value of the position like overall, uh, as far as like you know the the quality that's out there. I move him up just maybe 10, 15 spots at the most. Uh, you know, he he doesn't have he doesn't run a ton. The batting average is fine. It was really good last year, but I mean I would bank on a 275 if you really want to like, you know, put if you if you really want to be conservative, like last year is like I believe 289 or something like that off the top of my head. So I'd say 275, expect from him. You know, he'll get he'll get like in the 20s in the home runs. I think with the Mets lineup, he'll probably get a boost in RBIs. So overall, he's he's going to be like you know the same player that you're used to. Um, the one thing I'll say out there is a lot of people worried about him being injury prone. If you actually look at his numbers, he's played 89% of his games over the last three years. Uh, that's really good. <laughs> so I you know you're only injury prone until you're not. So I think he is a solid player. I think it'll depend on the draft room you're in as far as where his value is in fantasy. Don't go crazy. He's still. You know, um, he doesn't really excel anywhere in particular in fantasy. You know, defense doesn't count. He's not giving you speed. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, he doesn't he, – I have him in that Willie Adamas kind of area, um, which I think is fair um, in, the, you know, where he was in shortstop. So I think that's kind of where I have him now, maybe in the 90 range. He's – according to the NFBC and their DCs, and this is all DCs, I haven't filtered out by date – 121 is where he's going off the board on average. You got to figure he will likely jump into the top 100 based on this news going, at least by the time we really get kicked off in draft season and not just in NFBC drafts. I think if you're just talking about even your regular Yahoo ESPN or CBS, whatever uh, the average person is going to see that knowing that he's getting third base eligibility and move him up the board, at least like you said, a 10 or so fit picks, maybe 15, I think that he is probably the ninth shortstop that, or excuse me, the ninth third baseman at this point. Like mm-hmm. I saw a couple people talking about, he might go ahead of Riley and Arenado. I wouldn't, that's, I think that's crazy, but you know, right behind Gunnar Henderson, maybe arguably right above Gunnar Henderson. I think that that's probably about where he's going to fall in. You made a really good point though, about how he doesn't really excel anywhere for fantasy. He's almost underrated in real life and he's overrated for fantasy purposes. His skill set is good, but he hasn't stolen a base since 2019. Um, the counting stats, another thing is the counting stats are good, but they've never been crazy good. Mm-hmm. Even at, even in Houston, when he was on those crazy elite teams, uh, he never got over 100 RBIs. He was over 100 runs one time. So maybe we might overblow this. We might see the hype train take a hold of him and move him up probably a little bit higher than than he maybe should. And yeah. it kind of... And it kind of works as a little bit of a transition to another question I wanted to ask you here. In terms of those scarce positions, second base and third base, do you prefer to go for one of those absolute studs at the position, these guys who are going inside the top 100? Because there's really not a lot. There's seven second basemen with the top 180 P, and there are eight third basemen with the top 180 P. Of course, I'm filtering out gladiators. That's just draft champions. Are you someone who goes for one of those top 100 guys, or will you try and speculate a little bit as the draft goes on? In third base, I'm grabbing. I am. I'm going to try to go out of my way to grab a stud early, more often than not. Second base, not so much. I know we have that on our list. Uh, like middle infield, even second. Like I, I like some of the later guys. Gene Segura, Colton Wong are always perennially underrated. Third base, you got J Ram, Machado, Devers. Riley Arenado as the safe guys. You have Witt thrown in as a wild card, who I know we'll, we'll talk about him shortly. Um, after that, 
Alex Bregman, you never know what you're kind of get for him. He's kind of an even more overrated version of Correa. Uh, I'd rather get Correa than Bregman, personally. Um, you draft Bregman for the same reason you want Correa. Now Correa's third base, so I think I like Correa there more. Like you said, Correa, I think he's going one. Yeah, he's going like 120 now. I move yeah. him up to the Damas range, which is like 20 spots up. Um, so I think, yeah, he's he's going – just depends on your draft. It just depends on your draft. I think you are right in saying that he's probably around the eight or ninth best. I, I like him more than Bregman is from a value standpoint. I don't know if I like him more like apples to apples. Like who do you want more? I probably take Bregman. Uh, but as far as value, I think that uh, Correa, like right now, Bregman's going around 87 to 90 around there as men picks 48, which is ridiculous, but who knows how many, you know, just one super excited Alex Bregman fan. Uh, but yeah, I, I would, uh, Correa, I think would right now be my, probably my last third baseman off the board that I would be happy to get. Um, so right now, if I, if I could get J-Ram, I want J-Ram, Machado, Devers, Riley, Arenado, or Correa. That's actually who I want to leave with. Bregman's not on that list. I wouldn't mind having him. I wouldn't mind having Gunnar Henderson. If I'm like strike out completely, I'll take Matt Chapman. <laughs> Yeah. I'll take uh I'll you know I'll I'll even wait for Justin Turner maybe. Uh but uh you know there's not a lot and Jan Mankata I'm you know always I'm always if anyone follows me I'm always in on Mankata the breakout's coming <laughs> always. Uh this year at least it won't hurt to draft him because he's going so late right now around like pick 300. Uh but uh yeah I definitely want one of those top like eight eight uh eight third basemen. I think the relative scarcity, not even relative, it is a scarce position, has led to people overvaluing maybe certain players. Specifically, I think it is absolute. I'll let you weigh in here. I think it's insanity how high Bobby Witt has been pushed up in these drafts. When I was in Arizona for first pitch, we were we were doing DCs, and he was going end of the first, beginning of the second. I think Frank Stanfield took him in our DC at 15. Now his ADP is at 7.8. There is no room for error here. He has to have an absolute boom season for this to pay off at price. Are you going to be having any shares of Bobby Witt, or has he been priced out for you at this point? Um, I don't. I don't want him whatsoever. I love Bobby Witt. I think that uh, he is going to be a stud. The thing is, I'm never going to be in on them the year before it happens. Um, Vlad, I was, I was not in on him until it happened, and then his ADP rose to the first round which I was completely out on last year. Glad I was, you know, wasn't, wasn't in on him because, you know, it's just, it's all relative value. I, I'm always going to be uh, out on these guys the the year until it, they have to prove it to me. There's, there's so many other dependable guys here. Same, same with Bobby Witt Jr. I, the, the thing is he does have a safe floor for fantasy in terms of even if he's brutal, he's probably getting enough counting stats to make it fine, but I'm okay with that. If you're going a little later, like that was my reason for being okay with drafting Jazz Chisholm last year. Said worst case scenario, if this blows up, I'm probably still getting tons of power and speed. Um, but you weren't drafting Bobby Wood Jr. in the first round, which is where you got to take him right now, which no, no way. <laughs> uh, if, if you're in a situation like, you know, uh, you have a lot of drafts or you got to go for broke, something in like a, um, let's say like a main event qualifier, 
uh, where you win or go home. Second place means nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I think you can take a shot in something like that. If you're doing like a ton of draft champions and you just want to share. Sure. But let's just say you're a more casual fan, even if you're doing high stakes, but you're only doing like maybe a couple or if you're just doing a home league or something. Yeah, he's someone where if you're just banking on having fun or having being serious for the full year and you need your one or two teams to work out. He's not someone I would probably hang my hat on because you could regret that. Yeah, his minimum pick is three. I just don't know where we expect that value to come from. I think somewhere last year he was like in the 40s or 50s in terms of his total value for the season. I don't have the Rasball pulled up in front of me, but I think it was about 40, 45. We're expecting quite a bit from a guy who walks less than 5% of the time. I mean, maybe that goes back up to where it was in the minors, yeah. 9, 7, 9%. But we are really, really expecting a lot from a kid who, granted, he showed it this year, but we... Where you're paying that it's massive premium when maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not. I, well, I think you, dra- you draft you draft a guy for for ceiling and for floor, right? Um, yeah. Using Correa for his example, people usually are drafting him expecting way more than his value is going to be. I brought up Justin Turner earlier, who, if he's healthy, him and Correa are kind of similar in terms of what they can give you. But I like Correa because I think you know he's obviously a, a much more safe bet, and I think his probably his best season hasn't happened yet. Uh, but where you're drafting him, you have a little bit of a cushion to get some profit. Bobby Witt Jr., min pick three, average pick seven or eight. You're hoping he performs well enough to so he's worth that pick next year. Like how well are we expecting him to do? Jose Ramirez right now is, is the deserved number one pick for me. He's my 101 personally. Um, but – He's your number one third baseman off the books. Like, how close are you hoping he gets to to J Ram? Because that's what you need. Like, he's going right now. Machado's going fifteen. Devers is going twenty. Like, how, I mean, how how much do you need out of him for him just to be worth his pick? And there's no chance for him to actually give you any profit above it. It's just you're just not giving yourself much room for error. It's it's a crazy price, and I mean, it's the same thing with Julio to an extent. Uh, you know, you're playing after one year. Granted, Julio was a better overall fantasy player than Bobby yeah. Witt. But we're paying, and you've been playing fantasy, I'm sure, longer than I have. But there's two rookies coming off rookie seasons who are both being drafted within the top eight. We're kind of expecting massive jumps from these guys. And I I think I agree. Like, when I first did my initial rankings, I had Trey Turner 1, Jose Ramirez 2. But the more you look at third base, I think it's hard to not take Ramirez with that first pick. I don't think you can go wrong either way, necessarily. But when you look at the scarcity at third base, it's it's pretty t- it's pretty tough, and even second base, like there's there's not a lot to really get excited about. There are more multi position guys at second base where you can play around a little bit there. Like I wouldn't mind you know taking Jeff McNeil after pick two hundred, or even maybe Gene Segura, Colton Wong. They're not terrible. Like you can fit them in there. Once you do that for third base and you start fading until post pick two hundred. There's really not those guys to go after. But in terms of Bobby Witt, I, I love the player. I wanted shares, and initially I thought I would have a couple shares, assuming he was going you know, end of the first. I might have been able to talk myself into it, 15, 16, 17, wherever. I, I just can't at this point. It's gotten it's gotten way too out of hand. It's it's funny. I think if you ask most people who has better play discipline, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, I would assume the average person would just say Julio Rodriguez, hands down. They wouldn't even think about it. Um if you actually look at just straight into their actual plate discipline metrics, there's not a ton of difference as far as like chase rate, O swing, like your chases outside of the strike zone. Uh, they're both around 
the uh, the average is around 32. So as far as rookies, not a surprise. Rookies chase a lot. But Witt and uh, Julio were, were pretty close. In terms of Z contact, which is your contact within the strike zone, Witt was actually uh, superior to Julio by um, quite a bit. Uh, I think uh, Julio was closer to like 82%, and the league average is around 85. Not bad, but um, there's, there actually wasn't a huge difference between them. I am a huge Julio fan, though, and I probably have no problem taking a shot there just because there is more to it than just the two statistics I cite. Uh, but, yeah, with Wit, there's definitely some downside there. I understand why people are doing it, and that's kind of what I brought up the caveat of it depends on the kind of league you're drafting them for. I know you brought up second base. I, I like second a lot more than you do, I think. Remember last year it was so deep? This year it doesn't seem deep because of so many people that underperformed last year. Uh, there was that there was that like group in the middle, Jonathan India, Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lowe, Laos. Um, and there there was just like this group of people that are really good and they all failed. <laughs> uh, I, I'm interested in all of those guys late now. So which is why I don't mind waiting on that position, because, yeah, that could blow up. But there's just so many interesting people and so many different interesting values of that position later that I think will bounce back. So I'm I'm kind of willing to go there. I mean, in addition to that, late options going after near pick 200 or later, Kettle Marte, I expect him, you know, at, at a pick 190, that's great. The batting champion, Jeff McNeil, you know, better in real life than fantasy, um, is still going pick like 210. Gene Segura, like I said, perennially underrated, going around 225. Colton Wong, 240. There's a lot of, lot of really decent options there. And those guys I was talking about, like Lao and India, you can get them in like the 150s, 180s. I mean, that is there's some interesting guys you can draft there. And as far as like early, I'm not, I don't know if I want Simeon that early. Uh, Altuve, I like. Uh, you know, Albies, Al Chisholm, they're, they're all fine. Um, it just, He's more of a rather than hunt any of these guys down, I'd rather just um, kind of wait for a guy I like to fall because I like so many of them. Yeah, I, I do like second, I think, better than third. Uh, they're both positions. I think given if I had my way in every single draft, I would take care of both of them likely within the top 100. If I can, maybe speculate a little bit later on down the board. And that's the thing where you're playing really really affects this as well. I play a lot of Yahoo leagues where you don't have to worry about CI and MI and five outfielders. It's more standard home league type of thing. That's what I like to focus on here a little bit more. In those leagues, maybe you don't have to really worry about taking somebody so high up. If you just need one second baseman, maybe mm. you're more comfortable having somebody like a Jeff McNeil be your everyday second baseman there. Whereas oh, well I think the I think the main thing is like let's let's look at Trevor's story, not to pick on him. I mean, he had a down year, he left Colorado. He's the fifth um fifth second baseman. He's going like 68. Was there really would it really shock you? If it turned out that Gene Segura was in shouting distance of his fantasy production, we don't know where he obviously signed yet. And he's going at 225. It wouldn't shock me, obviously, if story blew his doors off. Um, but it, it would that narrative really, really surprise you? And that's five versus 25 at second. Whereas third base, number five is Austin Riley and number 25 is Hayson Kim. <laughs> Like you cannot wait on yeah. third base. Uh, you can, it's, I think it's, at least it's a possibility. It's a, you have to be weak somewhere in fantasy. You can't be strong everywhere. And I guess this is just an area where I understand it's better to get those other guys. You want good place, good players everywhere. But I just think like the, if you take the, um, you know, best case and worst case scenario of every player, I, I think that the median is so much closer between the very top and the, you know, in, in the middle of the second base tiers than it is for 
for some of the other positions. I mean, I, I think I'd, I'd rather even grab a, a, this is the opposite last year. Last year was wait on first base. Now I don't necessarily want to wait on first base as much. I think I'd almost rather secure one I'm happy with and still wait on one of these second basemen. I'd rather it's, I don't know. I'm really, I'm really comfortable waiting on second base. Maybe I'm weird. First base did seem a bit deeper last year. Now that you mention it last year, I did have a, a show. I think I titled his first base, the deepest fantasy position. And it doesn't really look like that anymore. You have only six players with a top 180p. It's, you know, I am. <laughs> hey, imagine after last year, you're telling yourself today, Vinny Pascantino and Nathaniel Lowe are the sixth and seventh first baseman off the board. You're like, what the hell happened? Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know what to think about first base. Like there are some guys, even with first base, where I'm happy to wait a little bit. Even like Jose Abreu at 124, I really like mm-hmm. Jose Jose Miranda, first and third eligible at 158. I love that there. Josh even, Bell all the way at 200. <laughs> Josh Bell, um, not a big Joey Manessis guy, but I mean, pass pick 200, not terrible. Um, you know, there's guys like Matt Mervis, Miguel Vargas, who might end up making some noise from their respective uh, from their respective teams at first base. There are there are some options still, but I don't think it's as quite as deep as as what we saw last year. Uh, speaking to a position that is likely deeper. Oh, than hold, on. Before we, hold on, before we move on, just quick. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Because uh, we're probably off first base for the rest of the show. Sleeper for everybody. He's not exciting at all. Carlos Santana, Pittsburgh. I'm surprised they didn't do a hype video on him. <laughs> um, but he's going to pick 566. He's like going probably undrafted in a lot of typical leagues. If there's so many studies on the shift and most of them like to single out guys like like um I can't think it was the strikeout was home run machine who signed with uh Gallo yeah Gallo Joey Gallo everyone like that's a lot of the reports zero in on Joey Gallo and people like that who they think the shift ban will help number one if you look at all the studies I did an article last year who has been hurt by the shift without a doubt number one Carlos Santana uh, I don't know how much, you know, in, in terms of batting average and everything, it's going to help you, but he's got himself every day at bats with Pittsburgh. Obviously not a great stadium in PNC, but um, again, at 566, if you do see someone end game, especially in deeper leagues or draft champions, draft and holds, whatever, Carlos Santana, shoot him way up your list. I like him more than like 50 first basemen in front of him. Um I absolutely think that he is worth a well, not 50 first baseman, 50 draft spots in front of 50 hitters, not 50 first baseman. But that would make, um, him, that would make him your number one first baseman at that point. Yeah. I'm like, hey, that is not what I meant to say. No, but uh he is someone that has like a ton of of possible hidden value here. And especially in waiver leagues, if you're in a deep league where you can cut him loose. Just keep an eye on him even in spring training, if he's just kind of looking sharp. Um, you know, I, again, I'm not hoping, you know, you're not hoping for anything here, but, uh, you know, he looks like someone who could really like, just, just turn like back the clock here with the shift gone. I could see that. And especially with the price considering Pittsburgh paid their highest, most handsome free agent price. And I don't even know how many years it was, but it was like $6 million. It was their, their most expensive free agent acquisition in in several years. Pretty, pretty sad stuff, but he should have regular (laughs) playing time. Uh, if you're in an OBP format, even sexier there to take Santana Absolutely. deep here. And if you're playing in like your standard 10 and 12 team league, it's probably not going to be so easy to draft him. But he's somebody where you should, like you said, keep an eye on him uh, on waivers. Maybe even just throw a dart at your your last pick overall. Sit him on your bench there and see what he can do in Pittsburgh. Not the greatest team, but 
given uh, given the right situation, I think it can be a decent little uh, bounce back for Carlos Santana. And he actually had stretches last season where he was pretty damn valuable for fantasy, regardless of what format you were playing in. Uh, I think it was right before he got traded. There was like a real life sell high moment for them. And he actually returned. I mean, not so great value after he was traded, but you know he still has it in him. He's not he's not completely done. Uh, I agree with that with that one there for Carlos Santana. Uh, talking about another position that I'm kind of, I don't really know how to feel about it is catcher. And uh, I mentioned JT Real Muto on the sheet. Do you do you think there's it's worthwhile to take him in the third round? I mean, I know everybody's talked about how catcher's deeper this year, but in reality, it's not a deep position. It's deeper than it typically is. But once you get past about twelve or thirteen catchers. It's dart throws and it's, you know, it's guys like Jonah Heim and Christian Vasquez and, you know, Eric Haas. And maybe maybe they turn out, maybe they don't. Are you more willing to take a catcher early on or are you are you going to wait this year because of there's, you know, a little bit more flush uh, options at the position? All right. So my answer completely changes depending on format in single catcher, 10, 12, even 15. Take one of the last catchers off the board. I do not care who they are. The number 15 catcher right now is Heber Ruiz or and Danny Jansen. Yasmani Grandel, Christian Vasquez, they're all on the board. I don't care. Give me the last guy. I, I don't mind at all. I'll take him with one of my last two, last two picks. In two catcher leagues, JT Ramuto is definitely a guy I think is worth a third-round pick, only because of how consistent he is. He gives you those stolen bases. I, in a one-catcher league, again, I'm willing to punt. In a two-catcher league, I actually like to get two good catchers because uh, I think it gives you, especially in like a 12 or 15-team league, for example, there, you're, there's going to be teams that are literally punting a position. I mean, you're, everyone's so worried about like getting these nice bench spots, and before they like fill their second catcher, or you know, filling like you know a position where you have like five outfielders, and then you have like a bench of a lot of outfielders. I mean, you are starting two catchers. I definitely want to get my first catcher is going to be JT, or it's going to be Will Smith. Uh, you know, it's going to be one of those guys at the top, and then my second guy. I don't really want it to be any worse than. Probably, ah, uh, probably like uh, maybe the twelve area. Rally Murphy Contreras. I'm I'm probably not going too deep there. So in two yeah, in, in two catcher formats, I want like two C ones, um, for sure, which which makes Real Muto not a bad play at all. Plus, once you get him on your team, there's less stress to have to to actually uh, reach later because you you still want two viable catchers but the later you wait the more you have to pull and i hate pulling <laughs> so i would just rather take him where he is lock that down lock down that just really uh, solid value and production reliability and then later on try to grab another um another catcher for my c2 that is decent but just falls to me at a certain point i don't have to reach yeah i'd have to agree with you there for the most part i think especially in two catcher leagues you got to take one of the studs early on. I don't know personally if I would go in the third with Real Muto. Like, I don't think it's going to be a bad pick. I just worry a little bit about maybe the stolen bases. This was the first time he had got over 20 steals. Maybe next year he goes back to 11 or 12, and then we're not looking at it as such a great value. But in terms of all the catchers, uh, going earlier, I think, is better. Even in a one-catcher format, I wouldn't mind going for an Adley Rutschman or an Alejandro Kirk. Uh, MJ Melendez is somebody I expect to have quite a bit of because of the dual eligibility. I'm just, the thing with catcher is I think that we've kind of as an industry talked about how it's so deep, it's so deep, it's so deep. I don't necessarily really think that it is. There are still a lot of guys who are going very late in drafts. So I'm not really, I mean, all over the place, really. Once you get past, like we said, the 15th, 16th catcher, 
I'm not so big on these guys. A lot of people are taking dart throws like past pick 700. So like the last two, three rounds of draft champions, there are 28 catchers that are being drafted there. They're not going to pay off. Most likely you kind of have to take one of those early ones. It's deeper, but it's only deeper to a certain extent. I, I like certain catchers on the board here, but I think as an industry, we might've talked up the position a little bit too much. Is that, am I, am I wrong there? You think, or what, what do you think about that? Well, I think one thing I say with Real Muto is it also depends on where you're drafting and how the draft is going because it's it's dependent not only on saying I'm drafting him in the third. It's where are you drafting? Where's your draft slot and what has happened in the draft so far? Because you know if third base, if Machado, Devers, and Riley are gone in the second, or Arenado's in the third, he is a guy that I want to be probably targeting in the third ish. Um, but other than Arenado. Most other premium options uh, at other positions have gone in the first couple of rounds. You're in this weird area where reaching drafting a starting pitching in that area, it's like literally no matter who you drafted in the second or the third round, you probably could get someone comparable in the fourth. So starting pitching, kind of a waste of a pick there um, in terms of value. If you have someone you like, take them there perfectly fine. Uh, at second base, uh, again, Altuve, Albies, Chisholm, Simeon, if you really love one of them, you probably have to reach in the third. Um, other than that, it's uh, it's probably pointless to take one there as to as far as value goes. Um, same with outfield. Most of the premium outfielders are gone. Closers, if they're flying off the board, you may want to consider taking one there. If not, um, you know, the, then you're, you're, you're waiting as well. And then first base is not something you're targeting in the third. And then in the fourth round, Will Smith and Dalton Varsho have been going. So if you are sitting in the third – and uh, you, your options, in my opinion, are probably closer, Arenado, and JT Aramuto if you're trying to build a perfect team. Again, this is just me spitballing with what the ADP is looking like. You know, your draft will be different. So that's why I say I think Real Muto, with how sh- for sure he is in a two-catcher format, I don't mind taking him in the third. Would I like be happy? Was that a perfect scenario for me? No. Uh, but I think in that area, you're not making the best use of the value that you can put on your team compared to what you have to get in other rounds, uh, then by, you know, trying to get your third baseman, a closer probably, or catcher or that early in the third. And that one catcher will be real Muto. So that is kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, I mean, I know that's a lot. If anyone wants to rewind to hear what I said, it's just a matter of, yeah, it's just to shorten what I said, no matter what you're doing in the third round, Unless you're picking, you're if you're filling a real premium need like third base, um, or catchers or or closers are flying off the board, you're kind of just like picking between a bunch of people that are interchangeable for the next couple of rounds, in my opinion. Because after the first two, it all becomes a matter of uh, preference. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you look at third round ADP, there's a lot of pitchers going in the third round, and I don't necessarily agree with that. There's, I mean, mostly starters, and then you got Josh Hader and Hendricks also going in there. Personally, in terms of pitching, just to go off topic for a second, I'm waiting on pitching wherever I can. Um, yeah. You know, you can go for, you know, if you want to go for a Burns or a Cole or a whoever, you know, um, it's Andy Alcantara in those first couple of rounds, then I think that's okay. Uh, but I think it, it makes sense, like you're saying here. And again, I'm kind of just still forming my opinions. I've only done one draft, so we're kind of, you're kind of helping me out here in terms of my own strategy. I think that you kind of have to go for those more scarce positions a little bit earlier anyway. I mean, the more I look at it, the more I don't mind taking a Real Muto in the third round, depending on the way it works. Like, I'd rather have Real Muto in the third round, I think, than 
well, this is tricky and it's completely wrong, but they're both of the exact same ADP. Real Mudo or Jacob DeGrom, or is that one too uh, too close to home still right now? No, I mean, here, let's let's look at Spencer Strider because he doesn't have the uh, injury issues okay. DeGrom has. Like, you, you're taking, let's just say, oh, I'm looking at Strider here um, or I, or Real Muto. Let's say if for whatever reason, uh, Arenado's off the board, whatever. Um, Stry- two rounds later, at least according to ADP right now, you can get Alex Man- Alec Manoa, you can get Luis Castillo, Zach Allen, Max Fried. I mean, there's a lot of guys that could just be literally your SP1. I'm not saying I wouldn't prefer Strider, but uh, there's um, there's just so many options. Whereas if you skip Real Muto, uh, by the time the fifth rolls around, there's a good chance that Will Smith, Varsho, Rutschman, and Salvador Perez could all be gone. And then poof, you don't even have the option to do that. And then uh, and then you've already taken your pitcher. So either doubling down on pitchers, if you already took Strider, or uh, by that time, again, third base, gone. Um, outfield, you know, pretty much gone. You're just reaching on someone unless you really want to, like, get uh, Eloy Jimenez. Like, you're just pretty much then at that point reaching. And you just start reaching, and that's how you lose in drafts, by constantly reaching. So – Always look for like positional value, and that's why I said it depends on how your draft's going. But Real Muto in the third may seem egregious, but if you like kind of map out, like you know, if I do something else here, what do I do here? Then what would I do here? It's really not a terrible place to take him, and that's you know that's why he's going there. Yeah, no, I think you've I think you've talked me into it more so than I would have been about half an hour ago. Uh, I want to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. a little bit here, just because his price has been soaring up recently. Uh, when I first started looking at these ADPs a couple months back, right when the season ended, I think it was about 40, and then it was in the mid-30s. His ADP is up to 22.7 at this point. How high is he going to go, do you think? Like, Is he going to end up in the first round by ADP? Is, is that where we're headed with him, and would you still be interested if we do get there? Well, I mean, by the time like main events and everything roll around, we'll know more about his health. So that'll change things yeah. dramatically. I mean, I'm not touching him. A period. He's off my board. He is. I, I His name will be crossed off. He will not even be an option for me. But I am very risk averse with uh, with like my first three or four rounds. I am not taking someone. I'm not taking Aldalberto Mondesi's in the past. I'm not taking Jacob DeGrom. Um, I'm not taking players that have a realistic chance to burn me that doesn't work out all the times. I didn't, I didn't take Mookie bets last year because in coming off a rough year and a back injury, he obviously went out there and like won some leagues for people. Um, but he, you know, he was an established veteran, all-star Tatis younger guy, but he is, you know, he is a legitimate problem with his shoulder. And then he comes back, injures his shoulder. And then he has a shoulder surgery that doctors beforehand, when he was skipping the sh- surgery, said it was a good idea to skip it because you're never quite the same after coming back from this the shoulder surgery because they like scraped the joint or something. So I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm going on by what <laughs> everyone else is telling me. All I know is I've seen this guy get injured in weird ways that I probably should have canceled his contract for. I don't trust he's not going to like you know, go, go get, you know, gored by a bull um, or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Mets fan. I'm used to you and a Cespedes and all his weird injuries. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking him at all. I, and I really don't understand taking him at 22. Uh, we know what he can do. He's good enough to be the number one player overall easily. Uh, but uh, let's just say between the two at ADP, I'd rather take Bobby Witt Jr. than uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Really? Okay. I think I'd probably take the other side of that argument just because, like you said, the number one overall upside. I think they both... I mean, I'm drafting, I'm drafting neither for the record. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think with Tatis, it really depends where he ends up going. Like if he was still in that 37 range, would you, would you be interested there? 
Yeah, well, yeah. I guess if you're sitting, well, it depends. Again, when I was saying about uh, how many drafts you're doing, and you know, if it's a it's a winner go home situation, then yeah, if you have a few drafts and you want to share, I could I could see it more because then you're in that area, like I said, where if you're trying to fill third base or you're getting real Muta or something, then he can pop in there. For me, still no, because literally I wouldn't even know about it. His name is crossed off my board. (laughs) Uh, But that makes more sense. Uh, I'm not trying to talk anyone into crossing his name off. This is more of a anyone I'm not sure of. I crossed their name out early. I won't be drafting Fernando Tatis this year. I won't be drafting Aaron Judge. Um, He's fine. I'm not calling him injury prone, by the way. That's not why I'm crossing him out. You're only injury prone until you're not. Aaron Judge has been fine. Uh, but I mean, he had like what 75% over his, his typical averages. Uh, I don't know if uh, I wouldn't count on that ever happening again. His stolen base total was a monster bonus. I don't know why we would expect that again. He was playing for a contract. Not that I think he's that kind of player who's going to go in any kind of uh, any kind of a uh, a lull, but am I sh- if I'm I'm a statistical analysis guy? What do I have to go on where? it looks like he's going to be the player he was versus the player he was before. There's nothing. It's just, he was just, he just, everything lined up for him. There's all these reports that there was magic baseballs during his game. And I know I'm going on a weird tangent. You didn't expect, but no, go just, ahead, go ahead. Um, you know, I, I, Aaron judge, I'm not sure about a couple of things. Love the player. Wouldn't sh- shock me if he was amazing again. I don't know. Crossing him off Bobby Witt jr. He's too young. He could have uh, severe problems as the league adjusts to him. And he adjusts to the league, cross him off. Um, you know, the uh, the same thing we're talking about, Fernando Tatis Jr. Got to cross him off. The same reason I wrote off Mike Trout last year, cross him off. The same reason I wrote off Mookie Betts. He said, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out. But, uh, yeah, for me, <laughs> that's what I do. Jacob DeGrom, not drafted. <laughs> Somebody for me who falls into that same kind of risky category, specifically in an NFBC format, is Shohei mm-hmm. Otani. I think that he is incredibly risky. I mean, he's also incredibly valuable, but there's also the fact that you can only use one or the other version of him. For the most part, you're not going to use him as a pitcher in the NFBC. For the most part, you're sending him out there as a hitter. If he has maybe a matchup against the Athletics one week or something, or the Nationals or whoever, you might start him on the hill. But he's never getting two starts in a given week. You're drafting him strictly as a batter. And as a batter, is he worth... You know, for an upper first round pick, 7.4 on ADP for me, I personally don't think so. Like his minimum pick is one. Someone took him first overall. And maybe some people with more experience in the NFBC know better how to use him. But I I just can't get in at this price. Are you going to be, is he one of the guys that you would be avoiding based on that potential for injury risk? I certainly was last year. Uh, He looks like he is adjusted to the major league game well. And I'm not as worried about injury this year. But yeah, you were right. I don't you're you're usually using him as a batter. They typically have been using him, you know, they even had a six-man rotation for an extended part of the season and he looks like he's never going to get two starts. So, yeah, it's it's very unlikely his best value is ever going to land him in your starting lineup so then you're looking at him primarily as a batter where he's utility only. Yeah. Um, you know, it's utility only who steals bases, so I mean he has a, you know, leg up on a lot of people, but you know, do you really want him over like a full-time Mookie Betts who's going a few spots after him? I don't mind taking Otani, and at a certain point, I'd probably cons- you know I would consider him, but I I, I think there's always going to be someone I'd rather have 
Um, again, because it's utility only. I'm not using his pitcher as utility only. So it gets the back of the first round, and I'm saying, oh, do I want Otani or do I want to lock down Freddie Freeman, who I literally can write his numbers down in pen and not worry about first base the rest of the draft? I mean, I'd have to like you know consider that. Um, you know, it probably you know I'd probably land on Otani there. But it's just like one of those things where it's it gets close with all those guys in the back of the first round. And right now he's going in the middle of the first. So it's not even a consideration for most drafts. But, yeah, there's no way I'm ever taking him over Turner, Rodriguez, Acuna, Tucker, J-Ram, Betts. I'm not, I'm not doing it over any of those guys. He's played in a lot of games these last two seasons. There's you know, mm-hmm. 158 and 157. There is quite a bit of mileage there. I also worried that the offensive production was a little bit down this past season, even though there were more plate appearances, fewer home runs, fewer RBIs, fewer steals, fewer everything. I, I worry a little bit taking him there in this particular format. If you're talking different formats, then the, the answer t- changes entirely. If you're playing on ESPN, he is one player. You get to use both of them, daily changes. Like He is clearly the number one for me there where you can stick them in your lineup every single day, accrue points for both players. When you're talking about Yahoo, there is two separate entities of Otani. There is Yahoo, there is Otani pitcher, Otani batter, and then you're talking about two players who are both likely top 25, top 30 fantasy assets, maybe a little bit higher for the batter. Although, hell, the way he's played, it's hard to tell what's going to happen with his pitching stats because his pitching stats this year were absolutely incredible. But I think it really is format dependent. If in an in an NFBC format, personally, I don't have the most experience with the format, but I just can't see myself, like you said, taking him ahead of guys like even Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, uh, you know, the Blue Jays that are going there at the end of the first round, Vladdy and Bo. I feel like there is a little more security there with all those guys, considering that. And Ariel Cohen said this uh, when we were in Arizona. There's that double injury risk. You have there's there's twice as much of a chance of him getting hurt as opposed to the average player. So I just can't see myself being in at this price in this format. ESPN one oh one zero one no problem daily changes. Yahoo is a different story because there's two different players. But something the answer- they something I wish they would do though, Tony, is the way NFBC has is ridiculous. He should never be a single player um, where you can only use him one or the other. That's stupid. It should be he should be one player or two players. But I think this should, it should matter on um, auction or snake. In a snake, snake draft, I think he should always be two different players. Uh, in an auction league, I think he should always be a single player that can accrue points for both sides at the same time. Because that would be ridiculous to allow him to be a single entity in a snake draft where it's just luck of the draw. In in a, in a um, auction league, at least the entire league has an opportunity to get him and then the opportunity to plan on you know when you don't get so i think that that is where i'd land there and yeah but as far as um as far as like yeah him being a single player on nfbc where you can only use him one or the other i think i'd rather have corbin burns i don't want to take a first i don't want to take a starting pitcher in the first round this year really but i think i'd rather have corbin burns knowing i probably have 200 strikeouts in the bag and, you know, just this an ace in the hole where I can really wait on starting pitching then, um, then, then take Otani. I just I love Otani. He's actually like one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, but yeah, for fantasy and just the thing where you have to choose one or the other, that's just a big pain. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> he's broken fantasy. He's, he's broken the game. Different sites are still adjusting on how to properly, first of all, have their sites set up for him and, players are still figuring out how to properly use them. And I still 
you know, I play on all the different sites that I mentioned earlier. It's it's it can be a headache figuring out. Okay, this week I'm starting him as a pitcher here, and then you know it's daily changes here. So he's going. It's it's not like your typical set it and forget it as much as you'd like it to be. There are a lot more factors that go into it with Shohei Otani. Uh, Corbin Burns, I think I'd have to agree. He's the number one pitcher I have in my personal rankings. I think I would take him ahead of Otani there. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you. We've already talked about some guys that you are fading. Who are some guys that you are targeting this season, like regardless of draft price or whatever? Who are your guys for this season, or if you've you know had time to to pick out those names yet? Honestly, I haven't. Uh, I've I've done quite a few drafts already. I have no one that is really sticking out other than like some late round favorites like Tim Anderson, uh, who you know the they're literally just banged up last year. He's never truly healthy. He's someone that I was glad to pick up at the two three turn last year. That now I can get like much later. I love uh, a guy like Tim Anderson. Uh, as far as uh, starting pitching. <sighs> No one that I mean, there's no one really late. I mean, there's there's tons of guys that are I know going late, like uh, like Trevor Rogers, Jack Flaherty, all those guys. I'm not interested there at all. So even though I want I want to wait on starting pitching, I kind of am going to go heavy like in the middle. And I don't really have anyone that I really like that's um that really stands out. I love the Seattle guys in uh, in Gilbert. I love. Um, God, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to look at the border. Oh, Tristan McKenzie. Uh, he's someone that I'm definitely going to put. He's going around in the 90s right now, and I don't know what it is. He's just getting totally disrespected. I think that this guy um, this guy could get to 200 strikeouts. He nearly did last year. He's a thin guy, uh, so he looks like he could go up there and maybe, you know, like Chris Sale, like injure himself, but he doesn't throw as hard, and I think, you know, he'll keep everything together. He's going right now in the seventh round. I love Tristan McKenzie. Uh, at shortstop, it's definitely a position that uh, most people like to wait on because of how deep it is. I like to pick up Francisco Lindor. This seems like a homer move, but I haven't really mentioned any Mets that I like to get in on. I absolutely believe in Lindor. I was in on his re-breakout last year, and now he's in an even more stacked lineup. I love him at the 2-3 turn to lock him in and his five tools. He's a player that like doesn't excel in one particular category, but he just destroys in five. Just He's just good across the board in five. Um. Ahmed Rosario and Ahmed uh, Andres Jimenez, I think, are a couple of guys that are interesting for Cleveland. A lot of people are putting a lot of stock in Jimenez. Uh, you can get Rosario a little later. I like him quite a bit. But if we're talking about like really, really late round, Friedel, I like him on Cincinnati. I think uh, if you need someone a late stab in the outfield, he's going right now in like the 400s. He's really good. I'd like to know just in general what Cincinnati has planned. They have Noel Vimote. They have Ellie De La Cruz. I just want to keep keep an eye on them in spring training just to see what their plan is in general. Obviously, they have no incentive or reason to rush anybody through. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll still be keeping an eye there. Uh, Heimer Candelaria. We were talking about third base. This guy's going to like 470. He got DFA'd by the Tigers a year after leading the major leagues in doubles. <laughs> I can't imagine he just sucks now, and he does have guaranteed every day at bats for Washington. So uh, he is someone where, again, late round stab. I'm very interested there. Uh, so that's just a few guys that uh, that I've I guess I've ended up getting pretty early. Again, it's kind of it's a little early in the draft process where I see where I'm getting everyone. A lot of the rookies are being pushed up for no reason. A lot of the guys like Brett Beatty, you probably won't even like play in the majors to start the year in all likelihood. Who knows? Maybe he gets traded because of the Carlos Correa thing. More likely, I think they move him to the outfield, by the way. 
Oh, El- Elvis Andrus. He's someone I really like. Um, he-, he actually had like a, you know, lowish batting average in like 240, 250. Um, but he had double digit home runs and steals. He was sneaky valuable last year. Now he's out of Oakland. We don't know where he's going to go. There's a decent chance if the Braves don't really want to roll with, um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, Grissom, uh, right off, right off the rip, which at the end of the year and in the playoffs, they gave his job away. They went, they went with veterans and who knows if they don't want him to start the year, maybe in the minors. Uh, there's a good chance Elvis Andrus is starting shortstop for the Braves. It could happen, but he hasn't signed yet and he will soon. So he's going right now in the round 350. He's someone that I think is a really good lay around stab as well, just for a value standpoint. Oh, yeah, Rob, one more Ross Stripling. Look uh, at his numbers with Toronto. I really wanted the Mets to sign him as a long man. Signs with San Francisco um, on those weird one-year opt-out deals. Him and Manaya both got one. Ross Stripling, I think, is um, a real strong candidate for San Francisco to work their magic. I love him late. I am a Toronto guy. I am a bit of a homer here. People who listen regularly know I tend to to favor the Blue Jay players. And even though he has departed, Ross Stripling, he was absolutely phenomenal last year for the Blue Jays. He even had a save. I was looking at his numbers. He actually had a save last year as well. Mm. Um, and going to a place that is known for rejuvenating pitchers like San Francisco, I think him and Manaya, you know, they're both going 334, 338 respectively. Those are fantastic picks. Like if you're talking, you know, like we're talking home league stuff, 12-team leagues, take mm-hmm. your last pick and take Ross Stripling or take Sean Mania cuz there's a decent chance that they can tinker with a couple things like they have in the past with Gosman, with Wood, with Alex Cobb and the rest of them and maybe we see like a sub 3 ERA out of Ross Stripling, you know, good numbers a decent team although granted they're probably not going to be as good as we thought they were going to be yesterday minus Carlos Correa just, just like my god what what an awful couple of weeks for them thinking they're getting Judge and then Correa just to have that blow up in their faces but I think they're still going to be not a bad team Stripling and Manaya should still be able to return quite a bit of value. And even if you go farther down, even Alex Wood at 373, I don't think that that's terrible either. Uh, another guy who is capable of you know outperforming that for sure. Uh, when you look at organizations who are known for pitching, San Francisco and Cleveland and teams like that, when they get a guy like Stripling, who is already pretty damn good, um, they tinker with one or two things. We might see a fantastic season out of him. In terms of pitching, like I really love the 60 to 120-ish range for this Mm -hmm. season. That's really my sweet spot. I think my general strategy is going to be hammer hitters early. And then once you get to the Manoa, Freed, Gosman, uh, Castillo, Gallen, Musgrove, maybe not Tyler Glass now, but Javier, Framber Valdez, like that's the range where I'm going to be taking a lot of my starting pitchers from. I think that that's a fantastic range. And even you, know, you could probably down. you could probably build an entire team out of there and be fun. Let's just say you yeah. grab Lazardo. Like, I mean, not that you're going to have all these, but if I just had Lazardo, Giolito, Bassett, uh, give me Jordan Montgomery and Kodai Senga, like <laughs> I yeah. could probably cruise with that group. You know, that's that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, you don't necessarily – I mean, with closers, you kind of have to take one in the top 100, but you don't even necessarily have to take a top 100 starter this year. You can go your first six, seven rounds just filling out, you know, those positions we talked about that are a little more scarce, catcher, second, and third, and then hammer pitching here. Maybe you take a a stud closer or two, and then you worry about uh, filling out the rest of your rotation here. Matt, Eric, since you're a Toronto fan, just one thing before we we, we sign off here. Just a question, and we're talking about um, good value and late sleepers. We don't know what's going to happen, so this is a big risk. But Toronto still, you got to think, is trading a catcher. So there is definitely an opportunity to draft the very talented trio that Toronto has. Currently, Gabriel Moreno has no value. 
but as soon as they trade someone, he will. Um, Danny Jansen, sneaky good last year. I, I think a lot of people just don't even understand how good he was after you know coming off a poor season. We don't know how good Alejandro Kirk is. Um, so what is your take um, there as a Toronto? I mean, you probably covered this on the show uh, since your team already, but like, what are, what are you, um, what are you hoping for? What's your take there as far as drafting that group? Because the second one of them goes, all of their ADP shoots up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, where, where would you, where, how comfortable would you be drafting uh, like Jansen Marino right now? I think the catcher market is, fairly dry at this point with Murphy and the Contreras is both gone. And I think there was one other catcher who switched homes and Travis Darno potentially still on the go, depending on what the Braves decide to do. I don't know that there's going to be that much of a market for another team to come in there and really pay the premium that the Blue Jays are going to want to move off of a Moreno or a Jansen. I, I fully, ex- well, maybe not fully, but if I had to say one way or the other, I think they go into camp with all three of them. I think that Moreno at some point converts to a corner outfielder. I, I it's really hard to say when, because it's such a unique position to have three major league ready catchers at your disposal. Most teams would kill for that, but at the same time, there's nobody who's really out there shopping for catchers anymore. The Jays kind of fell behind there a little bit. Uh, you know, I was thinking that they were going to trade Danny Jansen. I keep waiting that. for the Cubs to jump in. I feel like uh, you guys are like Ian Happ and a Toronto catcher. There, there's more moving pieces, but I feel like there's a deal there. I feel like there's a deal there. I could see that. I was thinking that there might be a large new bar deal before Contreras mm-hmm. signed. I thought there might be some. I I wouldn't have wanted to pay Kirk for him necessarily, uh, but I just think at this point, and again, there's still three plus months before the season starts, closer to four months, I guess. We don't really know what's going to happen, but the report is that Danny Jansen is likely to stay because there's some kind of rapport there with Chris Bassett, or Chris Bassett wants to throw to Jansen. I don't think they're moving off of Kirk unless they get a king's ransom. And Gabriel Moreno has been not fantasy wise, but I believe Baseball America or one of those publications had him as the number one prospect for a, for a time last season. I don't think that they're going to move off of him unless they get, or any of these guys really, unless they get blown away. And if it hasn't happened to this point, maybe it doesn't. But like I said, there's still a long ways to go. If I had to say one way or the other, I think they go into the season with all three of them, see what they have, maybe see, maybe Moreno goes down for a stint. I I wouldn't want that for him, but I think it's possible Moreno starts the year in AAA and they platoon Jansen and Kirk a little bit. I think that they start with all three, as is my long way of saying that. Do you, okay. as an outsider's point of view, what what would you expect to happen though? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you have to bank on their value being currently what it is in draft rooms. Like you said, there's a very good possibility they go in with all three, which would be poor uh, for all three. Uh, Kirk at least have those DH at bats, like you said, Jansen. His value would be sapped with Moreno on the roster, so it'd be very difficult to do anything there. Kirk. I would be very happy to to draft um, because he's just phenomenal. We know he's going to get his at bats no matter what. But I, I mean, if I was in like a draft and hold where you know I I planned on taking multiple multiple catchers because you need a third one. You know, there's no waivers. Like maybe I'd 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 prioritize a guy like Moreno rather than try to grab some crappy safe at bats. Like I don't need Martin Maldonado. I'd rather not even start a catcher. Yeah. Um you know I'll just you know I'll try I'll move up Moreno on my list instead. Um so yeah I agree with everything you said. I was just kind of curious of your take because it's a it's definitely one of the more um under reported but probably very very noteworthy uh, things in fantasy that would that would change quite a bit if one of them were to move. Yeah, it's crazy. One team having three of top 20 catchers by ADP, it's pretty much unheard of. Uh, mm-hmm. I 
I think the Jays are still have moves to make. There's a lot of talk about you know bringing in a left-handed bat. There's going to be a couple of more signings, likely another bullpen arm. I think. I think the rotation's probably set at this point, but I would, I wouldn't be shocked if there is some kind of deal with Chicago. Maybe we trade Moreno or I don't think Moreno perhaps straight up. I don't think the, that would do it for the Jays. I think they'd have to sweeten the pot a little bit. But it'll be interesting to watch it unfold. And Matt, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You want to just let the people know real quick where they can find you, what it is you do? Yeah, absolutely. You can find my work over at the game day, gamedayhq.com, thegameday.com. I do uh, all the uh, baseball content over there. I just posted my top 350 rankings for everyone wondering. I think I moved Korea to like 90. Uh, is where I have him right now. Um, and uh, I do a lot of MLB betting, uh, DFS, uh, things like that during the season. And uh, help out with the uh, the NFL and soccer uh, and Premier League over there as well for anyone who actually is interested in that as well. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter also, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Perfect. Matt, thank you so much again for coming on. You guys can check out my work on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Also, Ethos Fantasy BB is where this podcast and all of our other baseball content is posted directly from. And check out SportsEthos.com for the rest of our coverage, all four major sports, fantasy, wagering, and the rest of it. Guys, we will be back tomorrow. Thank you so much for checking us out. Until then, cheers and take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.